Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. G'day and welcome to The Call. 10 stocks picked by you, two experts, one hour. It is Thursday, the 16th of November. I'm Andrew Gagan. Great to have you with us. And also joining us on the show, Michael Gable from Fairmont Equities and Sean Hickman from Market Matters. Gentlemen, welcome to you both. Nice to be here. Michael, I might start with you Mm. from a technical perspective. How are you looking at the market at the moment? There's a lot of noise about, we know we're heading into a Santa rally, perhaps that Mm. has begun. How's it looking for you? In terms of technicals, looks looks great. Well, the US market looks great. I mean, our market is a bit more slower going, but it's bounced off the right levels in terms of yeah, the, the the way it's the way it's traded through, you know, other key resistance levels. I mean, the U.S. market sort of stalled overnight, which is great. So it's had a good run. We don't want to see big selling come in. We just want to see it absorb that selling. Um, yeah, the Russell 2000 is up, so there's a bit of bit of Im- improved uh, market breadth as well. Um, U.S. dollars coming back, um, bond yields are coming back. So you know, there's all the ingredients I think for a bit of upside. Um, for here you know, in the US market, that should flow through to to the Aussie market as well. So um, yeah, look, I think that's the you know I think that's the starters gun for for a bit of a sand around. All right, okay, yeah. at the starting gate then. Um, Sean, do you agree? In fact, I was I caught up with Ari Epstein out of Chicago this morning. He was saying, uh, look, he thinks it's a bit overdone at this point when he's taking a look at the US market. At least he's looking for another correction. So he's not buying at the moment. How do you feel about it? Um, I don't agree with him this year. And there's not a lot of this year left, only six or seven weeks. Yeah. But um, I've been talking to you over the last few months and we've always been bullish. Market matters has stayed bullish. But from a you know, triangle point of view, we're bullish US tech. We think it's got further to go. I think it would make new all-time highs. The FANG index will make new all-time highs. Not a big call now. It's almost there. But it was a big call three or four weeks ago through October. I still think they go higher. And that will drag parts of our index higher. I agree with everything Michael said, and I think there's a new dominant um, game in town, and that is bond yields have stopped going up. We actually think they're going to come down, and that's going to see the button of performance change. So we saw it yesterday. I think the uh, local real estate sector, for example, closed up 4.6%. We're going to see some of these sectors play some quite aggressive catch-up. The insurance stocks were sold yesterday. If we're correct, and for example, the Australian three-year bonds can go from 5% back down towards 3.5%, 4%, as people look for rate cuts over the next few years, that can go a lot further. That's, I mean, we've, real estate's been underperforming for two years. Two weeks' bounce is not a great deal. Yeah. The Australian market has underperformed the US. Do you think that's going to continue? Well, that all comes down to composition, and that probably at the moment comes down to China. I mean, the US... Mm. Their whole rally has been driven by seven or eight stocks. We haven't got tech stocks of quite the same quality or certainly not the same influence. So without that influence, you know, we've got our banks. To me, the banks are okay value. We're sort of slightly underweight. The banks, there's no reason to chase them here. That's a huge part of our market. And then you've got the resources. 
you know, even though we like iron ore and we've been long BHP and the Rio and they've had 20% banks in Rio, for example, which I think we're going to mention today. At the end of the day, unless China gets a wriggle on, that part of our market is still going to struggle to come back in again. So do I think we carry on underperforming? I think less so. Yeah. But I, and I do think US tech rally is maturing, but I think it goes into next year. So it, can, it could be a bit frustrating at times for us, but I can still see 7,500 into early 2024, which is a number that's all-time all highs. It's not far above that. Mm. All right. Well, that's the outlook as we head into the end of the year. Uh, let's uh, look more immediately, though, at uh, the stocks we're going to consider today. The first five, Neuron Pharmaceuticals, Iris, Vulcan Energy Resources, Westpac and Brambles. Now, stock of the day out with news today is Graincorp. Uh, it's in fact, it's, uh, shares bounced about 7% this morning. They have since come back. That's following an announcement of a special dividend of 16 cents a share, final dividend of 14 cents. There you can see the numbers. That's despite earnings coming in lower at $565 million versus $703 last year. A net profit after tax, $250 million compared with $380 in FY22. The company posting a return on invested capital of just over 18.5%. Uh, with uh, the final dividend there, as mentioned. Uh, So at the moment, the stock is up. Let's take a look. Uh, Well, as I said, it was up 7%, now up just over 4%. So the market are looking at that stock optimistically. Do our experts look at that in the same way? Sean, what's your view of GrainCorp? haven't really been following it closely. Um, didn't get the I didn't get the message that we were talking about it this morning. <laughs> right. um, I was in transit. Takes a little bit further longer to get here than maybe Michael. Um, so looking at the long term picture of the stock, we'd be neutral. I'd see no reason to buy that stock or sell it. There's better better alternatives out there. Um, sorry to be so short, but that's that's how I see it. Do you factor in, uh, given it's sort of in the ag space, uh, you know, I guess where we've been just as far as uh, we had a dry winter crop, then of course you've got El Nino factoring in now. Is that the consideration for you? I guess it more broadly when you look at these ag stocks. The ag stocks have not been a very good hunting ground for us. A couple of times we put our hand up this year and thought we picked a bottom and it wasn't. So we've had a great rally from elders recently, for example. Um, time will tell whether that can follow through. We're, we're a bit cautious towards the sector, primarily because it hasn't been a good hunting ground. Again, I use that phrase, we've had better luck elsewhere. We're focusing on what's working for us. Yep. Keep it simple, stupid. Yeah, all right, not a bad way to look at it. Uh, Michael, what's your view mm. of Grankle? Yeah, so it looks like with today's announcement, um, it was above, above guidance. So we've got a bit of a jump in, in the share price, of course because of that. So the winter crop looked to be a bit better than what the market was expecting. Um, so look, that's all great, but that's already happened. So I think the focus will now turn to some of those points you mentioned, which is we're heading into a dry season. So even in the announcement today, they noted that, yeah, it looks like in the northern part of the East Coast, it's we're heading into a, yeah, a dry, the normal um, sort of period, but that's getting offset by a decent situation in uh, sort of the southeastern states. But, you know, net result is there is that um, that, that uncertainty over what the, the next sort of crop will be like. And, you know, margins will be under pressure, as we know. Um, your typical cost pressures are still there, and the company noted that today. So I think, you know, Grain Corp, it might have been an opportunity a few weeks ago when it was trading back under $7. But... It's had a little bit of a move up in the past couple of weeks and then it's jumped today. So I think any advantage in, in buying the stocks been eliminated and now it's a fairly neutral 
proposition, as, as Sean mentioned, you've got all those uncertainties. The share price isn't cheap anymore. Um, I think there'd be better opportunities in other part of the market. So, you know, as we've seen, the stock was up about 7% this morning. Now it's only up about 4%. So it seems like the rest of the market is selling into this, this positive news. And, you know, when you've got a broader market that's all the way down at these levels, there'll be other opportunities. So I'd be happy to move on from Graincorp uh, and look for something else over the next few days. So I take that as a sell then? Yeah. All right. So Sean, just to clarify then, would you be holding that or you, you would look elsewhere as well? If I had it today, yeah. I would sell into the strength and go elsewhere. Yeah, right. Otherwise I call it a neutral. Yep, okay. All right, that is great call. Let's get into the stocks as picked by you. The first one, Neuron Pharmaceuticals. So it is that biopharmaceutical company developing therapies specifically for brain injury and neurodevelopmental and uh, neurodegenerative uh, disorders uh, reported its first profitable half-year result. Um, in fact, it's seen a, some 40% rally off an eight-month low, um, making it, I gather, the most overbought stock on the ASX most recently. Um, Michael, mm. how do you view Neuron? Yeah, look, very interesting. I mean, it's not, it's not one I've followed, but we could see that yeah, in the last two years, it's the share price. We're talking, you know, two dollars to to fifteen dollars now. So it's done incredibly well. Um, I mean, these these sorts of companies I find hard to invest in. You know, we've got trials going on. They can be very binary. But the good thing about this company is, it seems like as you've mentioned, they're you know for one of their products, they're now making money. The royalties are coming in. They've got another couple of. Um, um, yeah, there's another couple of sort of phase two trials underway. Um, I think with this one, it's a bit more of a momentum play. I mean, I'd be happy to hold it if I was here. It is quite overboard in the short term, so it's hitting the previous peaks from earlier this year. So I'd I'd wait for a better entry point. But yeah, this one does seem to have very nice upwards momentum when it when it gets going. So um, yeah, look, I'd be be happy to hold. Be looking to enter on a on a dip. Um, but I couldn't be buying it just as it's touching an all-time high after such a vertical move. What, what do you think of those biopharmaceutical stocks? I mean, they tend to be binary outcomes, don't they? Yeah, that's that's why I find them quite difficult. Mm. I mean, you could do really well, like like this one has has done well, but yeah, you can you can back another couple that that have trials that don't go anywhere and they drop forty percent in a day. So very difficult. I think even. Even if you know what you're doing, you could still get caught out. And I don't know what I'm doing when it comes to these pharmaceutical companies. Um, so, yeah, look, not my field of expertise, but just in terms of the way it's trading and, and all of that, it, it looks like a hold. And as I mentioned, at least they've got a product that's that's earning them money now. It's not one of these other companies. Yeah. You know, at, the, at the other end of the spectrum, you have your mesoblast and so on, which are you know, raising money every two minutes and, um, and just constantly having trials that don't go anywhere. At least this... This company's doing something. All right, um, Sean. Yeah, at times it does feel as though perhaps you're at the roulette wheel, doesn't it, with some of these uh, pharma stocks? Uh, definitely. I think Michael's being a bit kind when he says, you know, you buy one and it goes well like this, and you buy two more and they'll go wrong. I think it might be you buy five or eight more <laughs> and they go wrong. You know, I think the odds are pretty tough in this space. It's not a play we go place we go very often for that reason. It's very very hard to to predict the earnings. This stock has done one thing right. It's a U.S. partner is now producing, um, getting great revenue from Daebu. 
and that's giving over 10 million um, a quarter now coming through to Neurom Pharmaceuticals. And that's the reason for the re-rating on the upside. Um, the stock looks good around $15. I guess if I had $1,000 in it personally, which I don't, I'd probably take half off the table and give half a bit of room to see if it's going to keep, keep going. But it has got some revenue stream, which does isolate it from a lot of its competitors or peers, I would say. Um, again, it's not a stock we've traded you know, before COVID um, or after for that matter. Um, but it looks a lot better than most places in the space. It's got revenue coming in. So that puts it, you know, makes it stand out to me. Yeah, absolutely. All right, that is Neuron. Let's uh, move on to our second stock. And that is Iris, uh, as picked by Stuart, is the tech company. It look, provides uh, software, particularly the financial services industry. In fact, I have it open on my laptop right now, uh, its platform, and uh, also investment to management, mortgages, super. Uh, data intelligence in general has uh, come up against some cost pressures in a weaker revenue environment. So, Sean, what's your view on Iris? Um, I think it looks horrible. Right. <laughs> well, take a look at the share you know, performance it, I mean, there it too. It dropped basically 40% when its last um, result came out, as you mm. rightly pointed out. Cost pressures, which have been quite consistent across the whole market. They're not on an island there. But revenue was disappointing. No dividend. I see no reason to hold the stock. Um, I don't use Iris anymore. Um, it just doesn't, again, I've used this phrase already a couple of times today, but there are other places that are far more interesting to me. Um, and this year, the trend has been every time, if you try to buy the underperformers, you've generally lost money. Uh, and this is most definitely in that bracket of underperformance. So I just see no reason to own it. So if you've ridden it down to that level, then you still see no point in holding it. No, and I haven't ridden down to that level, fortunately. I hope you haven't. No. Um, but obviously, a lot of questions come in from people that have got caught on a, you know, a result comes out. Yep. It's what worse than expected and the, drop, the stock drops 40%. There's not a lot you can do about that. But I wouldn't buy more. I wouldn't average. And to me, if you won't buy a stock and you won't average it, one's got to work. you've got to ask a question, why am I owning it? All right, just copy losses, move on. Yes. Very hard thing to do, but yes. Michael. Yes, it's similar thoughts. So we've got a business that's had a number of downgrades. So you know, it could be a turnaround at some point, but I think we need to see some evidence of that. Um, I think trying to you know, potentially buy it here and hope that, that this is the low. Um, and again, coming back to my earlier point, when you have a broader market that's starting to throw up other opportunities, you don't necessarily need to be here. I mean, on the positive note, when I look at the weights trading on the chart, I could see bit of a short-term bounce underway. So I think if you're holding it, to me, it looks like it might try to rally back above $6 and that'll give you a chance to, to get out of it. So I think what you need to see is that you know, management are turning it around. So maybe maybe that's the next set of results in, in February, I'm assuming. Um, and sometimes with these companies, when, they, when they're in this downgrade cycle, one potential, um, I guess, tip to see if the the share price is turning around is is when you get a set of results that just appears diabolical, but then the then the share price rallies um, five ten percent. You don't seem to understand why, and that often gives you a clue that all the worst of it's priced in. We haven't seen that yet. Um, maybe that will happen, but I'd be on the sidelines uh, until that does happen. Yeah, another one is you might see, for example, on top. I, I totally agree with what Michael said. You might see some directors start to buy some stock with some real money, mm. and that's a vote of confidence you might take note of as well. Yeah, okay. But to your point then, you're saying technically has the potential to come back but, and you would use that then as a moment to, to sell. Yeah, I'm only talking over the next sort of 
few days or so. That okay. I think the mistake, so just very quick point, I mean, the mistake that, that a lot of investors make when you have a broader market that's come down to these levels and you're mm. sitting on losses is they wait for those bad stocks to bounce before they sell it and move into something else. But the, but the thing is, if you take it over the next few months, the better stocks are going to outperform those bad ones. So you're better off taking the pain now and moving into a better stock. Um, because when the market's down here and, and you've got investors all cashed up, they're looking for the quality stocks. They're not looking for Iris now that the market's come back from where it has. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll get a bounce in the next few days, but I think that'll be it. All right, that's Iris. Let's now head in to the materials space, uh, specifically with lithium. It is Vulcan Energy, and uh, it is based in Europe. In fact, it's looking to become the first integrated renewable energy and lithium project to supply uh, battery um, metals in Europe. Uh, uses geothermal energy for lithium extraction. Um, and uh, as you can see, it uh, hasn't travelled well today. But, well, look, it's not alone, given where the price of lithium has gone this year, taken most of those lithium stocks with it. So, Michael, how do you mm. view Vulcan? Yes, yeah, it's, it's definitely a market darling. Um, mm. 2021, it had all the, the buzzwords, lithium, it was you know, green energy and... Well, there we go. You see what happened in 2020. Yeah. Um, unfortunately... In this space at the moment, you need to stick with those that are profitable. So, you know, lithium's having a tough time at the moment. Very weak demand out of China. Um, has seen the lithium price continue to fall. Um, and, yeah, look, the major names have fallen as well. But we're talking much smaller amounts. I mean, this stock's fallen from you know, $16 to, to under $3. Um, I just can't see why it would bounce um, anytime soon. I mean, sure, if the lithium price improves, and I believe it will um, uh, improve from here, whether it's today or a few months from now. Mm. Um, but I think the market is not ready to pile into stocks that aren't, you know, aren't making any money. So I think, again, unfortunately, this one, big downtrend, it might have some bounces along the way, but you know, from these levels, I think stocks like Pilbara look very interesting, the way it's trading. Um, an AKE or an IGO, I'd rather, if I was in the lithium space, be in those stocks than, um, than Vulcan. So it's, still, it's just got, yeah, back, back when, um, you yeah, know, they were the sort of the market darling in 2021. Mm. Um, yeah, a lot's changed since then. There's a lot more supply that's, that's come on board. Well, it's a bit more complicated, isn't it? Because it's yeah. not straight lithium, because it is obviously all about that green aspect yeah. to it. Um, but location-wise, is that a positive um, to supply Europe? Well, maybe in terms of the costs, it might be a bit of a problem. Like Europe's sort of struggling at the moment mm. as well. I don't know if that's necessarily the best best place to be. Um, are they supporting those industries when they've got a lot of other other problems? Um, yeah, look, maybe a little bit too complicated. Yeah, I think. Yeah. All right. So, is that it's a, a to know? A no, just a no, yeah. Okay, Sean, now of course you're across lithium stocks. How does this rate then? It's an idealistic company, isn't it? Yeah. Um, it, it's interesting. Last time I wrote about it for Market Matters, um, I, I read my notes this morning and it, it was a $585 million company. 
This morning it's a $430 million company. So that's a lot of money gone out the window quite quickly. It's actually said in Germany, um, if it's gonna be as efficient as some of their cars, it should in theory do okay. Um, but I have to totally agree with what Michael's saying. You know, why do you have to go into a stock like this with some variables and some unknowns when you can go into the likes of Pilbara, you can go in the likes of IGO, which are making a profit, paying a dividend, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you've got pure players with Pilbara. IGO, you've got some nickel in there. We actually own mineral resources because we like iron ore, and then we think that will help it pay for its you know, evolution into lithium. There are better ways to play the lithium space. Again, I agree with Michael. I think lithium's looking for a low. Um, might take a while. You know, it's, it's, the market totally got the supply-demand numbers wrong in its head a year ago or two years ago. It's probably getting them wrong again. Um, but this isn't one of the stocks I've used to try and play that game. I'd rather buy something that's making a profit. Um, and I 100% agree with what Michael said about we're not in a market, we haven't been in a market all year where people are trying to pick bottoms and buy underperformers. They've left those alone. Fund managers came out in October in the Bank of America fund manager survey and said fundamentally they've got the most cash they've had in a long, long time. If they come back from cash back into the market, they're not going to pick, buy the dogs, they're going to buy the quality end of town. Mm. All right, so it's a double no on Vulcan Energy Resources. Okay, let's head into the banking sector. Uh, of course, the big banks have been reporting recently. So uh, we're gonna take a look at Westpac. Uh, has undertaken a $1.5 billion buyback. Um, you know, the uh, brokers pointing out that it has been a disappointing few years for, uh, for the bank, but things seem to be moving in the right direction. Home loans increased 3% in the second half. That was ahead of market growth. Sean, what's your view on Westpac? And I guess how it sits, particularly among the big four. Okay. Um, yeah, you wouldn't want to compare it to the, um, the regionals at the moment. They've had a tough year. Mm. Um, amongst the big four, it was a solid result. Um, and the market reflected that the way it reacted to it. It, didn't, like it hasn't really moved a great deal. Um, good capital position, hence the buyback. But at the end of the day, we prefer ANZ and NAB in the space. But I think importantly from Market Matters' point of view, and I firmly believe as well, there's no reason to be overweight the banks. They've had their day. They might have it again soon. But if interest rates and bond yields are going to drift over the next year or two or not go up anymore, the so-called easy space for their margins are going to evaporate a bit. They're going to have to work harder for costs, et cetera, et cetera. So I just don't see a reason to be overweight. I don't see a reason not to be in ANZ and NAB at the moment. If I got really concerned about bad debts, concerned about the markets, the economy, I'd look more at CBA. But at the moment, Westpac's mm. not on our horizon. That sounds as though it's, it's fourth in the pecking order then. But if yes, you, it probably would be. So, but if you do hold it, what do you do with it? Oh, I probably, you know, um, you might switch it for, for a, the, next, the next one that pays a dividend, but it's, they're, they're all much of a muchness. I mean, mm. you know, it, it's not been a great year for it. ANZ's been the best stock this year. I don't think it's time to fight that trend. I might call that a reluctant hold then from you. Yeah, I'd call it a hold. I'd definitely call it a hold. Yeah, okay. No, I don't hold it. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. Um, yeah, look, I, I wouldn't hold it, to be honest. I'd, um, I'd swap it into Macquarie Bank. Um, I know it's not exactly like for like, yeah. um, but I think down at these levels, the way Macquarie's trading... Um, actually, I'll go back to my previous point. We'll talk about Iris. Um, when you get a what looks like a bad result in the stock rallies, that's what Macquarie did a couple of weeks ago. Um, Bit of a, an undercooked result, but it uh, after opening low, it closed higher. Um, it was up five percent yesterday, so I think a low's in place with Macquarie. Um, yeah, look, Westpac. I think it's uh, it might be the weakest bank. I mean, over the over time, we've held Macquarie and sometimes CBA. We sold 
or we had a sell recommendation on CBA at the end of July. Um, I just don't think you need to, to be there. Um, to Sean's point, better opportunities elsewhere. Um, yeah, the Westpac share price peaked in 2015. If you pull up a chart that includes 2015, you could draw an almost perfect line hooking up all the, all the peaks and it continually hits that peak and pulls back and it's just trending lower um, until that breaks. I just don't really see it going anywhere. I don't think the outlook is massively positive for banks from here. Um, yeah, just don't need to be there. A lot of a lot of people hold all of the banks for some reason. And I feel sorry being for the uh, the banking analysts who, you know, every couple of weeks they'll they'll change a number and upgrade their target ten cents or move it down twelve cents. And um, yeah, they'll say Westpac's a buy because it's cheaper than ANZ or Commonwealth Bank, but then it's always cheaper, isn't it? So. Mm. Yeah, look, in short, um, I'd sell Westpac here and I'd go into Macquarie. I think that's a bit of a no-brainer. Yeah, okay. Well, it is difficult to avoid, particularly if you're sort of trying to reflect the index here, likely given its dominance of the uh, banks and also mm. materials, obviously. Okay, so that's, look, essentially it's a negative on, uh, on Westpac. Okay, let's uh, get into our fifth stock. That is Brambles, as picked by Tanya. It is the uh, supply chain logistics company. Um, got a large uh, footprint there in about 50 different countries and uh, of course providing that equipment in terms of pallets, crates, containers into the global transport sector. Uh, most recently reporting a 13% uh, constant currency sales revenue growth for the September quarter. So uh, given that, Michael, mm. what's your view on Brambles? I think they're now now hitting some some headwinds and we can see that on the, on the screen there that uh, I think that uptrend's over, um, and it's now hitting a hitting a downtrend. So they had a an update recently. They reiterated guidance, and yeah, it, the market didn't really take it very well. I guess the market was hoping for something better, but I think the reality is, um, as inflation, we'll take a step back. What what helped Brambles um, say a year ago was, you know, as as inflation headed higher and the supply chain started to ease up a bit, um, they were able to increase prices. But they're now getting into a situation where um, it's harder for them to increase their, their prices as inflation cools off. You could see ac activity, especially in Europe, really cooling off. So you know, volumes from here should continue to uh, sort of weaken. I think their margins will be under pressure from here. So they had a very yeah, a decent period there in 2022, but um, I think they're hitting the peak of, um, of you know, their earnings. So it'll, it'll soften from here for a while. So that's a no. Yeah, it's a no. Yeah, right, okay. All right. Sean. Not as negative as Michael. Mm. You know, because I think it already has come down a couple of dollars. You've taken the chart off, but it doesn't make a difference. It's come back up a couple of dollars as people have seen what comes comes next. Um, you know, the earnings profile, profit profile is growth next next year of around nine to twelve percent, which isn't too bad. Um, this is one that's quite interesting in terms of how a central bank is going to walk along that ballerina, not ballerina, gymnast beam, are they going to control inflation without pushing us into a recession? If that's the case and the economic activity is solid, Bramble should benefit. And I think around this 13 to 13.50, um, I could be cautiously bullish, but it wouldn't be a strong buy, that's for sure. Cautiously bullish, I'd say, around the, after this pullback we've had. Cautiously bullish, so not buying then at this point. No, it's not on our hit list. It's not one of the stocks we're considering buying. Yeah, but you had to hold it if you're there. Yeah, I probably would hold it. I mean, it's not. I don't, I'm a firm believer that if you're not prepared to buy something, you probably shouldn't hold it. But 
Um, overall, I think around these areas, I'm cautiously bullish. I'll stick with those words. Okay, that's Brambles. So let's round out the first half of the show then. We began with our stock of the day. Uh, that uh, was Grain Corp off the back of its um, of its update on its results. Uh, Sean, he's got a hold on it, but he is wary of those ag stocks. Um, no, in fact, you're, you're more you're actually more a sell, aren't you? Really on the on the stock, but um, and that's certainly what Michael is thinking too in regards to to Grain Corp. More of a, a neutral proposition, I guess. It's fair enough for both of them to stay there. Michael pointing out it is not cheap. Uh, in terms of those stocks as picked by you, the first one being Neuron Pharmaceuticals, um, it is making money, so that's a positive as far as Michael's concerned. A momentum play, um, he would have a, uh, a hold on it, bearing in mind it is overbought, as he recognises. Um, Sean's saying, look, uh, it, is a, uh, it is a tough space to be in, uh, given those binary outcomes. He would be more likely to take profit at these levels. Iris, yeah, not a positive outlook from both sides here. Uh, Sean pointing out looks horrible. You have to look at the chart. Uh, no dividend, no reason to hold, so you'd sell it. Um, and uh, Michael's saying, look, it could possibly see a bounce in the short term there, and that would be an opportunity then to get out. Vulcan Energy, well, it is a lithium play. Uh, we know how difficult that's been for lithium stocks most recently, given the price has come off significantly this year. Uh, Michael's saying, look, stick with those ones that are profitable in the space. Obviously, the leaders being the likes of, of uh, Pilbara and IGO. Um, mineral resources, that's a suggestion of Sean there. Um, but in terms of Vulcan, um, well, Michael looking to take profit there. It's largely, it's a no, essentially, from both. Westpac, as far as, well, given how it sits among the big four, it's probably fourth um, among the uh, outlook as far as uh, Sean and Michael are concerned. Um, Sean pointing out, does have a good capital position, but uh, uh, no reason to be there, essentially. He prefers NAB and ANZ, uh, whereas Michael, yeah, more likely to sell it. His position would be in Macquarie. Uh, he's calling it uh, Westpac, the weakest bank then among those. And finally, there, Brambles. Um, Michael pointing out, likely to hit some headwinds um, and the uptick is over. No from him. Sean has a different take on Brambles, saying, look, if the economy does hold up, uh, then he is cautiously bullish on the stock. Okay, so of course now the call is uh, tracking its own high conviction uh, portfolio. That's picked by our investment committee, the latest episode of that. Is live for you to watch at ausbiz.com. So checking in on the portfolio update going into November, uh, we can see that uh, is where it's sitting at the moment. The fund is up 7.6% on a cumulative return basis. So keep sending in your requests, keep the call switched on to see which stocks our committee is gonna be looking at next. So next half of the show, we're gonna be taking a look at Santos. Charter Hall, Rio Tinto, Victory Metals, and Yan Coal. All right, so let's begin with Santos. It is uh, the country's biggest uh, domestic gas supplier, uh, aiming to be the leading uh, LNG supplier in uh, Asia Pacific. Gas, Michael, Santos, 
Um, how does it stack up? And I guess you could make the comparison with Woodside, which has you know, obviously a broader uh, outlook here. Um, what's your view on Santos? Yeah, look, I mean, it'll, it'll, it'll pretty much track what, what the price of oil does um, and, and gas. Um, and clearly, you know, the price of oil has come back in the past few weeks. Um, and, and all the share prices have come back as well. But, you know, I think that in terms of um, oil and gas prices, I think they're at levels where they will find some support. I mean, we've seen uh, the US sort of strategic reserve buying sort of step back in again. Um, you know, if we're looking out over the next sort of 12 months or so, I think the overall story is a situation where supply is still pretty limited uh, based on many years of underinvestment. Um, I can see demand picking up. You know, we're going through a bit of an economic trough at the moment. Things have sort of cooled off, but you know, demand picks up. That'll continue to meet a lack of supply. So I think from these levels, um, you know, energy prices can improve. Um, and with that, the, the price of Santos as well. I mean, down at these levels, um, you know, it's pretty much trading at the lower end of its range. Uh, you know, on the chart, it's looking a bit oversold. So, um, yeah, look, I, I'd be looking for, um, yeah, I'd be looking to buy it at these levels. Um, and, and I think it could easily get back up to $8 again. Well, when you take a look at that longer term chart, I mean, particularly over the last couple of years, it hasn't really gone anywhere. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it, um, you know, the oil price generally bangs around between that, um, you know, sort of high 70s and it's been almost as, as high as 100 bucks. So, it's, you know, it's basically reflecting that, but we've gone through a period of, um, you know, global economy has, has slowed down through, through the higher interest rates. So, you know, now that rates are peaking, um, now that inflation is, is coming off and, uh, and next year we may even see some stimulus um, in terms of lower interest rates. We've got, we have to remember the Chinese economy, um, you know, they were in lockdown until the start of this year. And okay, a lot of us expected that economy to bounce um, at some point this year, and it hasn't really, um, that's still, you know, laying in, yeah, that's, that's waiting there to, um, to recover as well. So we haven't seen big demand out of China yet either. So, um, yeah, I expect the demand story to be you know, picking up next year, but I don't see the supply matching it. So, you know, whether it's oil, whether it's coal, uranium, um, I can see you know, potential in that space. So down here, if you've got a longer term point of view, um, I think it's good buying, but even even shorter term, it's looking like we're pretty much finding a low in the yep. share price. Yep, okay. H how do you look at the broader energy space in Australia at the moment with, you know, obviously Woodside being the largest, but but not just in oil and gas, but also I guess more broadly, and we're gonna get to a coal stock mm. uh, soon as well. Um, where are you seeing opportunity in that space? Yeah, I think, you know, Woodside as well yeah. looks, looks uh, pretty similar down here um, and the coal stock. So where there is a bit of a shift, it doesn't feel like a day by day. I mean, you look at, you look at um, some stocks today or you know, the last couple of days some of the energy stocks have been down and the market's gone up and it doesn't feel like they're doing the right thing. But they're generally over the past sort of several weeks, at least there's been a bit of a shift in um, the realization that, um, you know, moving to, you know, your net zeros and and your renewables is, is going to be a bit harder than first thought. Um, and we're going to need, uh, we're going to continue to need gas and oil and, and coal. And, uh, you know, uranium's the other one. Last time I was on the show with 
Um, with Sean, we'll talk about uranium as well. And mm. um, yeah, I could really see that playing out over the next 12 months. Next few days, yeah, look, day by day, you get these these sort of counter trend blows. Um, but I, you know, I could definitely see a shift in that direction. Okay, Sean. Um, I agree with what Michael's saying, but I think he's a bit premature. Um, we sold out of our uh, Woodside position into the spike higher, which we got um, when the unfortunate breakout of the Middle East conflict. And then we went on to watch for quite a few weeks where the news was getting worse and worse in a kind of situation in reverse to what Michael was saying earlier about a stock finding a bottom. We were getting some bad news consistently coming out of the Middle East, and yet the oil price was drifting off. And I feel that's gonna carry on happening. And we've had that strong move down towards 80, underneath 80. I can see the oil price getting down to 70 and really washing out a lot of the market in its way. Um, you know, Russia is starting to produce now. We're a very fickle um, Western world at times, and we're starting to buy a lot of Russian oil on the quiet, if you look at the stats, um, because central banks have got this real problem with inflation. Hang on. You're saying we're buying Russian oil at the moment? Russian oil, you look at the numbers, Russian oil is actually coming back onto the market in quite big numbers. So, you know, it's the, the central banks want inflation down. And one of the best ways to get inflation down is to reduce the price that you've got to pay at the petrol pump. Mm. And we all know that's gone up a long way. We well, so, only have to look at that latest inflation data out of the States uh, down because of that 15% drop in gasoline prices. Exactly. And I see it every time I fill up the, the car. It's horrible. You know, so um, I believe we'll actually see oil price lower. So we've got the risk of, um, there's a lot of countries in the Middle East that wouldn't mind uh, producing more oil. Obviously, Iran's there as a wild card. Mm. I think that Russia will keep producing as much as we will buy. People want um, the oil price lower. That's something I don't think you should ignore in the short term. So if they can get the oil price lower, it does a lot of work for the Fed, for them, for the RBA, etc. So I think from a risk reward perspective, it's too early to be buying the oil stocks. They're still you know, being talked up on hope and value, et cetera, et cetera, which is all very true. But I think there's another good chance, another 10% lower. So I wouldn't be buying mm. them yet. But if you were in Santos then, would you sell it? Or too late, you just hold it at this point. Okay, well, I made a note here. Um, for the last couple of months on the show, I've been saying I'm bearish on TOS. Mm. Now we've moved around $7 to a neutral position. So I know I wouldn't sell it anymore on neutral. Yep, okay. But I can, I certainly wouldn't. I can see the next 10% being down, but not as easy, easy money for the, the bears is gone. Yeah, all right. Well, you know, if you're sick of paying those high uh, prices of the fuel pump, then um, Sean, ditch your, your gas guzzler and go and buy an EV. My wife's got a landscape gardening business. We got five utes, right. five hundred bucks a week in fuel. Yeah, well, I think you can get an EV ute, can't you? Yeah. You can. LDV yeah. is ninety-five thousand dollars, whereas the Toyota's are forty. Yeah, yeah, maybe a bit premature on that front. <laughs> All right, okay, let's move on then. Our next one is a Charter Hall. It is the property company investing and managing. It's got a suite of uh, REITs there, covering what office, retail, industrial social infrastructure, um, the office one making up about a third of its funds management portfolio. Um, is the portfolio in good shape? Uh, many of the brokers feel as this. Occupancy rates of around 96%, average leases of close to six years. So Sean, how do you feel about Charter Hall? Um, I'm looking upon this more as a macro play. Um, we went overweight um, fortuitously to a degree, although we were dead right. The uh, property market um, two weeks ago, the property sector, um, and obviously, a lot of those stocks have turned around 10% plus in the last two weeks. Um, we believe that bond yields will edge lower. 
That's going to put a huge tailwind behind this, the real estate sector. Yesterday's 4.6%. Could be a lot, lot more over the next month or two. Um, I think Charter Hall looks good. Um, it's a buy from me. I can see the next 20% being up. So given where it's fallen to, you see that's an opportunity then? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's, they've had a really, really tough few years. And, if, and, and primarily because bond yields have been, and valuations obviously have been repricing down accordingly, but bond yields have been up, gone from zero to five plus percent. Um, I think now if they come back a bit, mm. it doesn't have to come back a lot, come back a bit, you'll see the, a really strong bounce like we did this week. Yeah, g- given you'll, you have a positive outlook on property then, given you, the prospect of yields coming off, um, does that still apply with office though? Because you know we know the pressures that the office sector in particular have been feeling, and I guess whether you've seen that structural change of people no longer working in the office nine to five, five days a week. Good question, and we don't own them in our active growth portfolio. We actually own National Storage and Goodman Group, mm. um, so it's not our first pick from an active growth perspective. But I think the whole tailwind, as I said at the start of the, the answer, is more of a macro play, at least for the coming month or two. And the macro play will be a buy back into this overbeaten up sector. Michael, do you agree? Uh, yes. Yeah. So look, I've um, I've spoken about office property for the last six months. I think I, I think I've been six months too early. So yeah, I've I've always viewed, well, for the past several months, office property is one of those, you know, the most unloved sector. Um, and it could be a really good contrarian opportunity. All we needed was the bond yields to, to head lower and, uh, and that peak in rates. So I think, yeah, I was probably you know, several months too early because it's only now that we're seeing those bond yields start to pull back and everyone realising that, okay, rates are, um, you know, we've seen the ceiling and you know, this, this stock was up 10% yesterday. So it looks like it's the start of, the start of that recovery. So it's all starting to, to play out now. Um, yeah, I think there's there's further upside from here. I'm not sure how much um, how much upside. Um, the other thing, if you're looking over the next few months, one way to play it is uh, I'm also just you know, wary of the fact that they might get to a point where um, it might start underperforming other sectors, um, and it might be worth rotating into into something else that starts recovering. Um, you know, potentially even in the resources sector. But for the moment. Yeah, look, I think we've seen the bottom. That's, uh, you know, I think we could ring the bell on that. And um, yeah, you'll see this one head higher. So look, in terms of other property stocks, we've held Goodman all year. We sold that one, um, I think it was a few days ago. So I think, you know, because that one's done really well, you might see a bit of rotation into some of these other unloved sectors. And uh, yeah, there's a bit more upside to go. But so, so, so I wrote about Goodman today and actually made yeah. new highs for the year yesterday. Yep. All right. So is Charterhall your pick then at the moment? In that yeah, yeah, sector? I think, yeah. Look, I think, um, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think it's got, got pretty good upside. Um, so that, that is good a buy now. from you then, it is a double buy? Yeah, if yes. you're happy to buy it. Yeah, yeah, I said buy. There you go. There's one for our investment committee to take a look at right there, Charterhall Group. Okay, let's move on to, we're back into materials now with Rio Tinto. Um, look, I guess number two after BHP, uh, second largest metals and mining company. Um, strong third quarter operational results. Um, most assets in line. I think it was sort of stronger in Australia, weaker in Canada in particular, I think, or North America. Um, so, Michael, give us your view then on Rio. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, look, I mean, I've... I've been bullish um, BHP and Fortescue all year. Rio, it's, it's, it's pretty similar. Um, I'd, I'd rank the other two in front 
of this. I mean, more broadly, again, we've um, yeah we've seen iron ore prices hold up extremely well all year, um, despite uh, you know a lot of analysis from from other areas that um, that it would head backwards. I think they're I think they're starting to make a, a major move now. So again, this whole you know China economy. You know, Sort of the weakness has dragged on longer than a lot of us thought all year, but um, we are now finally getting this this upside move in in the major miners. So you know BHP's just recently broken out. Um, Fortescue's had a good good few days. Um, I've been talking all year about that major level near twenty three dollars for Fortescue. It's finally broken through. So um, I think Fortescue's now moving into a new trading range between twenty three to to thirty dollars, but yeah, with Rio, just like Fortescue, they're a bit overcooked in, in the short term. So um, you, you could be using this opportunity to maybe, if you're a bit more of a trader, to take some profits here and look to, to buy on a dip. It looks like iron ore was off a little bit overnight. Um, so for me, it's, uh, it is a buy, but not, not today. I'd, I'd want to pick it up um, over the next several days on some weakness. Right. The, I mean, you mentioned the iron ore price. It's been quite remarkable, hasn't it? Because I think it's almost touched mm. one thirty. One thirty. Yeah. Um, do you think it's going to continue to move higher? What, what, what are the technicals telling you? Um, to me, it looks like it might cool off in the short term, but it could break out to to higher levels again, especially if we if we do see a recovery in the Chinese economy. I mean, they've tried to stimulate it. Hasn't you know? Not much has happened yet, but. If we assume that we've seen the worst of of that economy and it can only improve from here, mm. um, then yeah, it could could head high. Okay, Sean, um, we've been bullish iron ore for the last six months, targeting 140, 150. So in other words, we still think the next 10 percent up is up in iron ore at the very least. And the interesting part of that, as Michael alluded to, is China. China's making numerous slowly but surely targeted stimulus attempts. None of them have really worked yet, but they're not going to stop. China doesn't stop when they start doing these things. Um, and I think eventually they will win that battle. It might take six more months, might take 12, but they're going to keep going. And the iron ore price is telling me that they believe that's the case. And what's really interesting here is consensus, again, as Michael touched on, is very bearish iron ore. You know, you're not going to read many broker research out there that talk about iron ore much above 100, let alone up at 140, 150. Mm. Which means if it punches through this 130 level, it's been knocking on the door of over the last week or two, um, the stocks could actually outperform. You know, so we've already seen a 20% bounce in Rio, but it could go, for example, 25, 30% if um, iron ore goes to 140, 150, because all of a sudden all the analysts will say, oh, I'm wrong. They'll upgrade their iron ore price and suddenly we'll, the stocks will follow suit. Mm. So to me, from a risk of war perspective, Rio looks, looks really, really good. Um, after going 20%, it probably needs a bit of a rest with the easy money gone, but I do reiterate, what Michael said again, we prefer BHP in the space. We're long BHP, we're not long Rio. But do you hold it? If I held it, if I owned it, I would hold it definitely. I'm going to call it a hold then from you. Okay. <laughs> All right. Putting but words I'm... in my mouth. No, no, no. Uh, well, if you don't want to hold it, tell me. Uh, no, I would, I would still call it a buy. An iron ore stock is a buy. Uh, okay. All right. Yep. All right. Um, well, maybe a bit like Michael there, watching um, and waiting to buy. Okay, let's. Uh, we'll stay in the metal space. Victory Metals, uh, certainly a smaller one in comparison. Uh, well, let's look. Mineral exploration. It is based in WA, focused on the exploration and development of its rare earth 
element and scandium discovery in uh, the Q region of WA. I guess bearing in mind what's going on uh, strategically here, particularly with what well, we just had recently, um, uh, Prime Minister Anthony Albanese in talks with Joe Biden talking about uh, supply strategies, particularly for critical minerals, given the dominance of China at the moment. So, Sean, has this one come across your desk? What do you think of Victory Metals? No, it most definitely has, I'm afraid. Nine, hasn't, I should say. $19 million company. We can't get involved in stocks that small. Okay. I'd have a phone call from ASIC overnight. <laughs> you know, if our database or our funds started buying it, the move would be too big. Yep. Um, it's, um, it really isn't a stock which catches my attention on any level. Um, if you're looking at rare earths, there's better places to go. Lucas had a big pullback and they've got rare earths coming online. Um, it isn't, it's not one for me, I'm afraid. Michael might be able to cast more light on it. Well, b- before you get to that point, okay, so just in terms of those rare earths then, so you mentioned Eluca. Um, would you be going there at the moment? No, not yet, because the mineral sand is still struggling, but that is a stock which has come back an awful long way. So value is starting to present itself there. And you know, if you, when you do the valuation side of things, depending on how you bring the, the rare earths into it, it could become a, appealing to some people. Right. Any others in that space then that you'd be interested in? Not at the moment. Not okay. at the moment. All right. So that's a no all round then. Um, no, no, I think Michael hasn't spoken yet. Is it? No, no. From <laughs> no all round as far as your outlook in that space. Okay. Michael. Well, yeah, it's it's got to be a no. I guess we always get one of these stocks that doesn't don't trade. Don't let Sean you. Oh, no. We, um, I mean, it traded. It, it looks like it sometimes trades 20 grand a day. Yeah, it is 20. So, you know, based on that, it's, as, as we've mentioned before, when we get these sorts of stocks, that's too hard to, to hold an investment in because if it starts to move the wrong way, you you, you lose half your... The, the lobster pot. Pretty, yeah, it's the old <laughs> lobster pot. So we always get one lobster pot in the show and that's uh, VTM. Um, so that's our lobster for the day. <laughs> um, but look, on, on the whole rare earths thing, yep. yeah, look, I mean, I, I'm a holder of Linus, so we've... We've been trading Linus. We brought back in, I don't know, might have been several weeks ago. Um, to me, that looks like it's poised for a bit of a breakout here. I, I really like the look of the way Linus is trading. Um, yes, it's one of these strategic metals and there'll be focus on that. But we have to remember that rare earths pricing has been pretty soft recently. So um, I think it'll improve. But when it does improve and when it's you know, going up, then maybe some of these, maybe not this lobster here, but there might be some of the other smaller ones might start to catch a bid because of the rising commodity price. But at the moment, while the commodity price is still depressed, um, the small rare earths companies aren't going to go anywhere. Yeah, if Linus, as, yeah, in terms of its share price, is, has been pretty flat, um, then yeah, and that's the largest one out of outside of China, then yeah, you really do need the rare earths pricing to head higher. But look, it'll, it'll happen. Um, again, coming back to the comments, on what's happening in China and how important rare earths are for the US. Um, I'd be, or well, I am an investor in Linus, and yep. um, for our viewers, I'd be looking at Linus, not not one of these smaller ones. It's a good one for like a volatility breakout system. As it starts to move, it will probably keep on going. Yep. So to me, they're more attractive at higher prices than they are today. All right, uh, premature, maybe that is a look to the future. So that brings us to our last stock where perhaps we're looking to the past. Um, it is Yank Coal. Uh, coal, of course, um, is it stuck in the 20th century? Maybe. Still has room to grow, though. Uh, plenty 
of countries still using coal still need it, uh, particularly as we look for the energy transition. So they're taking a look at Yang Coal, picked by Zong, uh, asking, I currently hold it. I'm seeking the advice on whether those are worth keeping or should I even consider adding when a drop comes. Look, it's operating at about uh, five mines, managing another five in Australia, in, well, specifically New South Wales, Queensland and WA. Has increased production uh, every quarter this year. Balance sheet looking pretty healthy. Michael, mm. Ian Cole. Um, yeah, I'm, yeah, I come back to my previous comments on, on energy. I can see upside over time um, in that space. If we're talking coal, I think Whitehaven would be the better bet here. I think the deal they struck with BHP looked pretty good. Um, Yan Coal, we have to remember, I think nearly two thirds of it's owned by a Chinese company. So you don't get as many, um, you know, sort of shares on offer there. So it's a bit of a harder one to to get in and out of. Um, but yeah, look, I'm, I'm positive the space, but I think Whitehaven would be the, the more reliable investment if you're looking there. Yep. Okay, Sean. Um, I hate to be boring, I'm going to echo what Michael said. 62.26% of the share registry, to be precise, is held by the Chinese entity. Yep. Um, I think as a standalone, looks okay value under $5. Um, it's not where we'd be going. I really like what uh, Whitehaven did with BHP. Um, a lot of people are looking for dividends and capital return, but I think over the coming years, the move they made to, with the BHP assets will prove to be a very good one because the energy transition is going to be harder, in our opinion, than people think. And the coal price is a dinosaur, coal's a dinosaur, but it's a dinosaur that's going to keep on giving for a while. So like coal, prefer Whitehaven to um, Yang Coal. Okay, so am I calling that a no, but you look elsewhere? Yes, yeah, yeah I think it's well, a tricky one to it. Yep. Yeah, all right, I'm trying to extract a definitive <laughs> opinion on these stocks at the moment. All right, okay, that brings us to the end of, uh, of the show. Let's uh, wrap up the last five we, uh, we took a look at then. Uh, we began with uh, Santos, it was fairly dominant in the uh, materials and energy space. Um, yeah, so uh, Santos, uh, Michael's got a buy on it. Uh, he's sort of seeing that demand is likely to pick up uh, with uh, with oil and gas at this point. But uh, uh, Sean has a very different view. He's neutral on the stock, pointing out they did get out of uh, Woodside recently and expecting the oil price to come off even further at this point. Uh, Charter Hall, a very different story. It is a double buy uh, with... Um, well, Sean pointing out, looking for yields to come off even further. And um, Michael seeing a start of a recovery here for Chatter Hall. So, as I said, one for the committee to consider. Rio Tinto, um, look, a preference from both really, BHP. Uh, Michael saying this one's a bit overcooked. He yeah, may be watching to buy. Um, just depending on where it goes from here. Um, Sean overall bullish iron ore. He's holding to what, looking potentially to a buy for, for Rio, but obviously preferring BHP. Exactly. You've yeah. already mentioned mineral resources, which you like. Uh, Victory Metals, no, look, it's a tiny company, uh, way too early. It depend, can't really tell whether it's got any prospects at this point. Uh, it is in that rare earth space. So it is a no from both. I guess if you're gonna look in that space, Sean would pick a Luca Michael Linus. And just finally there, in coal, Yang Coal. 
Um, Michael Sane prefers Whitehaven, both pointing out that two-thirds of the company owned by a Chinese entity, so it could be difficult to get out of it. Uh, he does like coal, Sean, but uh, no, not for Yang Coal. All right, that is the show, and uh, thank you to our guests. Michael, thanks for joining us for Fairmont Securities. Thank you. Our equities, I should say, and Sean from Market Matters. Thank nice you. to be here. All right. Any stocks you'd like us to cover, go to ausbiz.co forward slash callpicks or tweet us at TV. Stay with us. The Pulse is up next. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.